Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, I am really excited because I am speaking with the legendary Aaron Sprinkle. Aaron Sprinkle is a singer, a songwriter, a composer, and a record producer. His first band, Poor Old Lou, released a number of albums, and he also sang and played lead guitar in a band called Rose Blossom Punch. In 2001, he began working as an independent contractor for Tooth & Nail Records, and he then went on to record a ton of classic albums that were released by Tooth & Nail as well as some other amazing records, and we talk about those. In 2005, Sprinkle formed the band Fair with his brother, and they released a couple albums on Tooth & Nail as well, and both of those records are fantastic and on all the streaming platforms. He's also released several solo records. This guy is just a creative force. Aaron has worked with dozens of bands, some of which are my favorite bands of all time. Bands like Acceptance, Amberlin, Copeland, Reliant K, Dead Poetic, Emery, MXPX, Ivory Lion, Isley, Pedro the Lion, the list goes on and on. He's done so many great records. It was a lot of fun just hearing him reminisce about some of these records and what they mean to him and how he reflects back on them. It was also really neat to hear what he's up to now and all the new projects that he's working on. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with the legendary Mr. Aaron Sprinkle. Nashville? Yeah, in the Nashville area. I'm south of Nashville a little bit, but yeah. Okay, cool. Excellent. How's the weather there yeah. today? It's actually been kind of, it was cold and a little sunny. It's supposed to maybe snow. Yesterday and the day before were like high 60s. Oh, cool. Which was really weird. Yeah. That's great. Very, very weird for this time of year, but it was awesome. Yeah, I'll take it for sure. Is it usually a little bit cooler than that this time of the year? Oh, yeah. I had never been in weather as cold as this until I moved here. I mean, it's been nine degrees here in the winter since I've moved here. Oh, wow. Here. Fun times. I'm and from Kansas never... City, so it, uh-huh. it gets, we've got all the seasons here. Yeah. Seattle does not get that cold. So Okay, cool. You know, that's one of the few places on the West Coast that I've actually never been to, Seattle. I'm hoping to go sometime, but I've heard amazing things. I used to be in a band and we toured the West Coast quite a bit, but every time we would book a show in Seattle, our show there, we would book a show in Portland and for whatever reason it would get canceled and we just couldn't justify driving all the way up to Washington. Yeah, that's a common occurrence, at least it used to be. I mean, it's, it's really far from, you know, Boise, Idaho and Portland are the only two things that are even remotely close to it. So it's a trick. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. Dude, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. This is kind of a, a thrill for me because I've been a massive fan of your work for close to two decades now. Wow. 
That's awesome. I mean, I played in bands and things. I always got a thrill out of opening the packaging of an album and just kind of flipping through the liner notes and right. examining all the thank yous and just the yeah. personnel of a record. And yeah. you start to see parallels with producers and engineers and even mixing engineers and things right. like that. Are you originally from Seattle? Yeah, I grew up on a little island right off of Seattle called Vashon Island. And it's, yeah, it's still my favorite place I've ever been in my life. But uh, yeah, it's... I mean, it's really close to Seattle. So especially by high school, I was spending quite a bit of time in the city, even though it's ferry only island, there's no bridges. So you'd have to take a boat to go. Into okay. The city. But yeah, I mean, basically, you know, the Pacific until I moved out here, I virtually only lived in the Pacific Northwest. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Is it a little bit different in the Midwest? Or I guess you'd be more Middle East. Technically, Southern. the Southeast is where yeah. I'm at right now. But yeah, it's way different in a lot of ways. You know, obviously, the political climate is slightly different here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> that would be the most stark contrast. And then, you know, there's just a lot of, I guess you're probably like the exception if you're not an evangelical out here. And growing up, I always heard, I have no idea if it's true, but I always heard that like the Pacific Northwest was the most unchurched area of the United States of America. So, <laughs> I mean, growing up in the church, I knew a lot of evangelicals, but, you know, literally it's weird out here. If You know, people don't ask you if you go to church, they ask you what church you go to out here, you know, yeah. so... So it's, it's like I that mean, here too. Yeah, it's different, but there's things about it that I absolutely love. You know, the people are awesome. And the difference in the weather has been mostly, you know, novel and fun. Mm -hmm. This time of year is my least favorite time of year for sure. But that's fair. It just gets gross for about yeah. two months. But for us, it's like six months. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. just gray and cold. We don't even really get a whole lot of snow, which is kind of annoying. I love Kansas City, but the winter months can definitely drag on for sure. Nashville's a bit of a melting pot too. I, I, there's so many people that I know from Kansas City, musicians over the years that have moved there. And I know a lot of them, they've also grown up in the church, but mm -hmm. they're having the adult kind of midlife reawakening where mm -hmm. they're, they're making the decision of what they want to carry from growing up in the church into their own adult lives and they're starting to have kids now too right so that's kind of an interesting thing my fiance her best friend lives in nashville so we go out there quite a bit i've grown quite fond of nashville it's a fun place to visit yeah nashville is awesome i since the pandemic i've spent even less time there i live a good 40 45 minute drive south of and i mean depending on traffic it can be way longer than that but sure yeah it's very different where i live compared to Nashville proper, like the metro area is very different. Um, yeah. And I love, yeah, th there's so many, you know, it's rare to meet someone that's from Nashville, really, that lives there. There's, It's just a lot of transplants and that makes it really cool, you know? Yeah, but, definitely adds to the diversity of right. the people in the city and everything. Well, cool, man. Just to give you context, Kansas City, I said Kansas City, I, I'm actually in Lawrence, Kansas right now. So it's kind of the same thing. We're about 45 minutes yeah. from Kansas City. Mm -hmm. People commute back and forth though. All the venues, the really cool venues are in Lawrence. There's a bunch in Missouri too, but a lot of them have shut down, but I've been driving back and forth my whole life. If you'll indulge me, I'm going to kind of ping pong around your career a little bit. 
I have no expectations of this. I don't even really know what we're going to talk about. So Okay, cool. I'm, awesome. I'm good with whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it could be scary. It could be amazing. You, you just never know. I was mentioning earlier, I've been exposed to your work for a really long time now. Mm-hmm. The first time was unknowingly, and I'm sure you've run into this before, just talking to people. My first experience hearing your work was the first MXPX record. I did not grow up in the church. That wasn't mm-hmm. really part of my scene. I later, because I live in the Midwest, there's churches literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. I started playing in bands with people and we invariably started playing at churches and things. And I started hearing MXPX through all my friends. And I was kind of discovering the first two records at the same time. One of my friends, he had Teenage Politics. Uh-huh. And of course, I just fell in love with it and then went back to Poconaccia. Yeah, yeah. I need the kind of girl that knows A girl that likes to wear my clothes Someone who always buys me Was that just the time and place being in Seattle or being near those guys? Or were you already, did you already have a relationship with Brandon from Tooth and Nail? Is that how that came together? Yeah, that was like one of those, you know, stars aligned moments. I'll try to make this quick because it's kind of complicated. But Brandon, I had met Brandon when he was still in college really briefly he did radio in college in Oregon and you know poor Lou was just starting out my band and then when we got signed to a label called Frontline in Newport Beach he was actually working there at the time and was instrumental in getting us signed he was a fan and was part of that and so he and I became friends then during that little short time that he worked there he actually started Tooth and Nail and moved up to actually I don't even think he was in Seattle no I don't even think they were in Seattle yet maybe Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, I don't remember because they were originally in California and then they moved up to Seattle. But at the same time, you know, I liked Brandon. I liked what he was wanting to do with the label. It was something that I felt was really needed at the time. And we were, I had, I knew about Magnified Plaid. That's what they were called then. I knew about them and they'd given me a demo tape at a different show. But then one night we were playing a show in Bremerton and one of the bands... Uh, Poor Lou was playing a show in Bremerton and the headliner broke down and called and said they weren't going to make it. And the MXPX guys were there and they were like, hey, our gear, our practice space is like down the street from here. Can we go get it? Can we play? And I was like, we asked, you know, the promoter and they said, sure, you know, they don't know what else to do. And they just sort of like destroyed everyone, you know, like they played and everyone was like jaws on the floor, you know. Yeah. And I, I don't remember if it was that at that night or not, but I just walked up to him and said, I want to record you for free. I have a studio that I'm working out of. I was 19 at the time. Wow. Okay. I was going to ask you how old you were. Yeah. I was just, a you know, I'm just three years older than them or something. And, you know, they were like 16, 17 years old. I was like wow. two or three years older than them. And I walked up and I said, you know, basically, if I can record, if you record with me at the studio, you know, three or four songs, I'll do it for free. But all I ask is that I can show it to my friend Brandon first before you do anything else. If I could, you know, record it, give it to him, see what happens. And, you know, the rest kind of his history for yeah. better or for worse. But, and then so there, when I got signed, I, you know, they asked me or Brandon or whoever, I don't remember. That was, you know, 
two lifetimes ago at this point, asked me to do the record. And I honestly like lied, you know, when Brandon asked me if, you know, if I could do it and, you know, if I'd ever worked in a real, you know, the studio that we were going to be working in and stuff, I just said, oh yeah, 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 I can do it. And I just literally figured out as I was going. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. You got to fake it till you make it, right? Yeah, or, kind or of at least uh, everything in my life. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the best way to do it. You're manifesting mm-hmm. destiny, you right. know, and they were just little babies. You said they were 16 and 17. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they were okay. still in high school. But wow. Yeah. yeah, so that was cool. And that kind of started my the funny thing is, is in between that in between that happening and us actually tracking the record, I did a bunch of work with other local bands just as demos. You know, one of the bands was Don't Know who they ended up signing. They're really awesome, weird band. But it was they the 90s, were, right? Yeah. <laughs> they ended up signing to Tooth & Nail, but they were also like, half of them were in Blenderhead too. So I ended, I actually did Blenderhead's first album before I even did the MXPX album. Wow. I was like around 19 or 20 when I did both of those. But uh, okay. and so that was 93, I think. Wow. 94. So that was one of the first Tooth & Nail official releases, right? Blenderhead? Mm-hmm. It was definitely early on in the catalog. I think it was literally in the top, in the first five releases. Yeah. Okay, I thought maybe, so. Maybe the third, actually. I mean, I think I, it was like Wish for Eden, Starflyer, and that or something was like the first three. I forget, but uh, Starflyer, yeah. so good. Yeah, so that just that literally like that little one year period is what started my whole career as a producer because I had it in my head that I was like you know a rock star who dabbled in production. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, at that point, you were a songwriter, right? That's something I I definitely wanted to ask you as well. Was it the Magnified Plaid that was your first introduction into recording another band? Because I'm sure you experimented with yourself, right? No, I had done a ton of recording before that. That was just my first time manning a record in a real professional studio. You know, with that being all on me, being paid by a label that was going to be released. I'd done a bunch of demos over the couple summers before that. And then, you know, I started recording my own stuff when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, just with whatever I could figure out how to make record, you know. Did you have like a little four track? I didn't even have that at first. Really? What'd you use? I used the first iteration of quote unquote multi-tracking that I did. My uncle gave me an old quarter inch reel-to-reel, just a stereo reel-to-reel. It was like an old, you know, 70s or 80s hi-fi reel-to-reel. Yeah. And, And then I had a cassette. I think it was maybe like a dual cassette, you know, console type deck and... I just used, I think I maybe even made them. I basically took, you know, RCA cables and spliced them together so that I could could record one thing and play the other thing at the same time. And and then, so I would just bounce back and forth between the two machines and add something to it on every generation back and forth. So keys or vocals or guitar or whatever. So that's what I started with. (laughs) And it would just get worse and worse and worse every time I bounced it back and forth. (laughs) I'm sure it did. Yeah. They probably added a whole new layer of just environmental sounds, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, it's probably amazing to be part of something so analog to literally what we have now where you can create albums in the box and there's right. just so many different plugins. And what was your first introduction to digital recording in Pro Tools? So I had done a ton of, you know, my career kind of happened and I, it was all tape for years. You know, I, I don't know, I would be totally speculating, but I probably produced, you know, 40 or 50 records to tape before I even started started doing anything 
else. Wow. And then ADATs came along, which in the lower budget demo world were really great because tape was often one of the highest expenses of a recording was the tape cost itself. Uh, really expensive. So when ADATs came along, I don't even know if you know what an ADAT is, but it was a mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So that I did that for a second, you know, a few years of that because it worked like my first solo album was ADAT because I just did it at home and in my friend's basement. But the, my first actual real thing, which is actually a funny story, I when I was going to do my second solo record for this label in Portland that I was working with, they gave me the budget. And about three weeks before the record was due, I bought and this was 99. I bought a Digi 001 with Pro Tools and I'd never used Pro Tools before. And I recorded my record on Pro Tools in three weeks, having never wow. used it before. <laughs> so Dang. Okay. I was, all, I was always a kind of nerdy kid, like computer-wise and stuff. So the computer part of it was pretty intuitive from that standpoint. But I pretty much never looked back after that. As far as but, digital recording goes? Yeah. I mean, there's so much to be gained. And there's less controversy now. There was always sort of this debate about it back then. And I remember know, the purists. Yeah. And like, there's still records some of my favorite records i've ever done even in the digital world where if we had the money we would like cut drums to tape or something like that you know um just to give it that little edge but yeah but yeah i so i started in 99 with pro tools and then about three years ago i switched to studio one exclusively so cool and you like studio one right oh yeah i mean i i wanted to switch to it for about two years before i did i just couldn't I didn't have the time to slow down and learn it because like I'd been using Pro Tools for so long. It was just like in my DNA, basically, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, there's a bit I, of a learning I thought it was, thing. yeah, totally. Especially when you're used to something. But from the second I saw Studio One, like version two or something, I was like, oh, this is way better than Pro Tools. Like, this is insane. Like, I just can't wait until I can find the time to learn it. And it is, it's just so awesome. I love it so much. That's rad. I'll have to check that out. I have a friend, he records in town. He's been using Studio One. I mentioned that I think I saw somebody asked you on Instagram or something. Right. You mentioned Studio One. So I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit. Yeah. But the Newfound Glory record, one of the most recent things that you've done. And then the Story of the Year record, were you still using Pro Tools for those? Yeah. The first, that acceptance record, you know, the first one kind of back or whatever. Cladding? Yeah. Was the part of it. I did in Studio One. Like at the very end is when I was transitioning. Mm -hmm. So some of that. And then, um, so that was the first like, you know, label released thing that I did in Studio One and partially. And then like, you know, 99% of the time, if I go to a studio to track, we're using Pro Tools. Yeah. And then I'll just get WAV files and bring them home to finish them you know, working on it. Okay. Uh, and edit in Studio One. Yeah, you know, depend. it just depends on whatever the flow of that record is. But, you know, the first few times after after about a year, the first couple times I had to use Pro Tools in a studio, I literally had to ask people <laughs> like what some of the shortcuts were that I forgot and stuff. It was really funny how your brain yeah. could adapt so quickly. You had to go back to YouTube tutorials. Yeah, just like find all the shortcuts. What was that? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. <laughs> I bet you wish you had those back in the ADAT and tape days, right? A YouTube tutorial to help cut oh. the learning curve. Did you have fun? I know I'm kind of going on a tangent of all no, the recording fine. you've done, I but did you have fun kind of figuring things out and unlocking? Was it sort of a game for you? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it was like, a, it was like 
anything was possible. You know, it was like, what, you know, what am I going to learn today? Or what can I, what would happen if I plug this into this? And, you know, and you learn, especially under pressure when people, you're in a studio, people are paying, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes by the hour, but you know, it's expensive too, right? Yeah. So, so you've got this pressure to be creative and try stuff, but you quickly have to be like, nope, that's stupid. And just, you know, or that didn't work or, (laughs) or that didn't do what I thought it was going to do, but it's actually really awesome. So let's go with it. You know, yeah, I definitely sometimes miss the days of working at completely analog world. It it uses a different part of your brain, kind of. Yeah, the priorities shift a little bit in that environment. But I'm not I don't necessarily think they're better, though, the priorities and the it's just I think um, in the middle there, I had kind of gone too far extreme into like getting stuff on the grid and perfect. And I kind of like lost my ways as far as the old days go. And then as I got older, I was able to sort of find, you know, a way to incorporate all the good stuff. You know, at least that's what I try to do. I know that I don't every time, but I try. <laughs> it's all about those happy accidents, right? And just a little bit of that authenticity from the human element to music. I, right. That does get kind of lost when you've got those really razor sharp edges and everything's mm-hmm. assigned to a grid. But it was probably also a, a bit about the workflow too, right? I mean, you were working and you probably had, like you said, a certain time allotment for each record. Yeah. So there's there's a really interesting dynamic that was going on then as far as like, you know, I was doing all these records for tooth and nail and you know it was awesome it was amazing and it was like such a formative part of who i am but you know we were i was pushing myself to make records that sounded like we had five times the budget that we did you know yeah there was just this expectation to like you know 90 percent of that expectation was self-inflicted as well so but uh you know i was trying to you know i was listening to these huge you know major label giant you know five hundred thousand dollar records and then making one for thirty thousand you know and doing my best so yeah just trying to figure it out as i went along and also you know a lot of the you know there's there's some really interesting things that you know and i've talked about this a few times but like you know a i never actually worked for tooth and nail i i just did a whole brandon and i had like kind of an agreement but i wasn't an employee of tooth and nail ever i just really liked doing record with tooth and nail it was awesome and every you know there's everybody always just assumes that i did but and it's completely understandable because i basically didn't do anything else for like almost 10 years but the other thing is i wasn't before all that i wasn't really actually a part of that scene that i ended up making records for i was it wasn't like i knew all about that whole scene you know so i was kind of discovering the scene or at least discovering enough of it to be able to do what i needed to do <laughs> of course yeah um and you know and integrating myself into it and really just trying to trying to make the the artists just stoked on what we were doing you know just that they would just have something that they had a zero disclaimer record that was always my goal like you can hand this to someone with no disclaimers and just be like <laughs> this is what we wanted to make and we made it you know yeah, of course. So yeah, it's really interesting. It was all fly by the seat of my pants kind of stuff. I like that. Sure. But clearly you're a man driven to do things and a person who's driven to do things creatively. Like I said, I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't really understand the Christian market scene. I didn't realize there was definitive terms like Christian music versus secular music. Mm-hmm. I never, I didn't even know what secular meant the first time I heard it. I was probably 18 mm-hmm. years old. But then I went on tour with three guys who brought leather bound Bibles with their names inscribed in yeah. them. So they started showing me bands from Tooth and Nail and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And we, my first band, we played a couple of shows opening up for Reliant K. We, we were really lucky. And that was the first time I heard Amberlynn. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. So that was like one of their first tours, I, I believe. I, I'm not even sure if the first record was out yet, but that was awesome. my first. Yeah, it was definitely a formative time for me, for sure. And it was kind of enlightening to learn about Tooth and Nail and kind of going back. And I had heard Slick Shoes because I'm a guitar player and I was really into all the riffs. And, right. and I kind of understood that there was some Christian references and things like uh-huh. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, you know, it is. Oh, we, I mean, it's that is like a whole other. You, I could talk about the weird microcosm of in even specifically Christian music and even more like specifically that scene like that mm-hmm. tooth and nail kind of whatever you want to call it you know alternative whatever mm-hmm. uh Christian rock scene like I mean just the weirdest stuff I mean just I mean, it's hilarious now when I think about it. But I had grown up in it so much because I had been in some way involved, some way involved in some capacity with music since I was a teenager in a church Christian evangelical environment. So all the like weird terms and expectations and, you know, etiquette and stuff was just sort of normalized for me. It wasn't until later on I started to like, you know, hold it up to the light and go, wait a minute, what is going (laughs) on right now? like, is yeah. this real? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think we have similar ideologies. Just reading some of your posts these days, and I admire you being so forthright because I think a lot of times people they kind of hold that stuff close to the chest. Yeah. I understand that too, but I think it shows bravery just coming from the scene that you come from. I'm sure there's a lot of people that follow you that read your posts and they're having a difficult time understanding it because their ideology is just completely different. And yeah, I mean, I it wasn't until this last year that I even came out of the club. It to be completely honest. <laughs> Seriously, like I didn't. You were shown the light. <laughs> I well, I just was. Af- I was afraid. I was afraid to get involved. I definitely was like, I don't want to rock the boat, kind of a thing. And you know, which the- I can understand, yeah. especially something as trivial as Facebook. And you seem like a thoughtful person. You have to know that there's probably a lot of people that follow you that are like me, that are massive fans, but they're different in the fact that maybe they did grow up in the South. They are more of that traditional evangelical, mm-hmm. and they they've been told essentially what their worldview is their entire life more or less yeah well and I I, I mean I was too I, I and and you know I didn't even have I didn't have the views like solidified that I have now for not until pretty recently like in the last five years or so and mm-hmm. and then you know and you know I I lost hundreds of Facebook followers in the last few months I, I don't even know how many I know that yeah. like for years I was capped at 5,000 and I couldn't add people. Yeah. And then every day I would see how many people I would add, I could add. And some days it was like 50 people I could add new friends because <laughs> I lost 50 people the day before. And now I that's haven't. That's great. Yeah. So, and, um, and that's fine. That's great. I mean, I've unfollowed literally hundreds of people on Facebook in the last yeah. few months. So that's the thing about social media. You get to curate it, right? Right. Yeah. Who cares? It's yeah. awesome. But yeah, I, you know, it's, it just is what it is, you know, it's just where I'm at now. I, I I used to have this rationalization where I was like, well, you know, the only reason I even have a Facebook is like to, you know, connect with people about music, about my music, my solo music or whatever thing I'm putting out. And I didn't want to like offend any, you know, I used to feel like I didn't want to offend anybody that had supported me or whatever. And I was and then eventually I was like, you know what? life's too short to worry about that and <laughs> not trying to piss people off usually sometimes i get a little vindictive about my posts but uh usually i'm really trying to get across something that is really important to me and i know that i've done you know i've made 
mistakes, you know, because uh, it is new to me. I didn't even used to post on Facebook ever, like until yeah. just a few months ago, like at all. So I enjoy your posts. I hope you continue to post. <laughs> Thank you. It's doing good things. If, it, if nothing so. else, it, sh it shines a light. And that's the yeah, thing. Yeah. I, I mean, the only people that really talk about it are the ones that are pissed about it. So it's hard <laughs> to know sometimes, you know, but <laughs> sometimes I have to just make it a point to like whatever it is you're posting because I want I want you to know sometimes the loudest voice is just the one who just happens to comment back or whatever right. but yeah <laughs> shifting That's gears funny. a little bit can you tell me a little bit about phantoms That seems to be the seminal record that it's almost got like a cult-like following at this point. It's one of my favorite records. Acceptance is one of my favorite bands. I love the two new records. I never thought I was going to get new Acceptance, but I was so grateful when you guys decided to do a couple records again. And can you tell me a little bit about Phantoms? I'm, I'm sure that was probably a unique circumstance because like you said, you were working at Compound Studios, predominantly working on Tooth & Nail record mm -hmm. releases. Were you just kind of like an independent contractor? Is that kind of the... Exactly. That's exactly okay. what it was. Dynamic. Dynamic was, was interesting, though, because basically Brandon owned the compound mm -hmm. and built it. And he owned like 80% of the gear in it and owned the building. And he built it for me to make records in, mostly for his label. But if mm -hmm. I really wanted to do something else, I would be like, hey, you know, can what, you know, what kind of rate could you give me for this? I really want to do this, you know. And so there was, you know, Isley and Acceptance and, you know, there was a bunch of other stuff that I did over the years. But, you know. Every but, avenue. Right. Yep. And, but yeah, so. I mean, that is, it's kind of the record that people freak out about the most. You know, it's one of, it's one of three that are really like the ones that people are like, what? You know, like Pedro the Lion Control, yeah. Acceptance Phantoms and Cities are the three that people kind of make the biggest stink about whenever, like if I happen to be talking to someone that knows them. But the thing about Phantoms that's really interesting is how many people it's affected. Like, you know, even kind of like, I'm not going to say, names but like there's been I mean almost every time I've met a sort of fame you know sort of famous to very famous person yeah some of these people like, are extremely successful are like that's one of my yeah. favorite records of all time and professional and athletes yeah and musicians like very famous musicians I've met that are like no way dude that's like one of my favorite albums of all time you know and so it definitely struck a chord and the cool thing about it is it was the most exciting time of my life as far as my career goes it was the first time I'd ever done a full length for a major label. I was from the get go, basically invited to be in that band. You know, I was, I was spiritually in the band, mm -hmm. you know, and Jason and I are, you know, he's one of my dearest friends since then, you know, we became really close and we were just like co-conspirators with that record, you know, and it was such a fun record to make. It was so much work, but it was so exciting. And we were just like, and when you, when you feel like you're doing something important or special and then it, ends up being something important and special. It's really cool. Even though it wasn't important and special in the way that we hoped it would be, because <laughs> we hoped it would be in the way of being like a platinum record or something like that. But there's almost something cooler about having a cult record than a platinum record, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, not from a financial standpoint, obviously, but you know, the 
there's just crazy stories and you know it leaked super early and then there was this weird copy protection thing that sony was trying for the very they were it was one of the first cds with copy protection so this massive amount of them got returned because they wouldn't play on like half of the cd players i mean there's all this crazy stuff that happened and you know i went to i flew around the country with them and did some you know we did like a late night show and we did the cap I mean, we did the aol sessions at capital you know they would take me with them to do stuff. oh cool and it was just so fun and you know those guys are family to me all of them still they're just you know they're some of the men in my life that i say i love you too you know they like i really love them and uh, yeah not that there's a lot of women in my life that i say i love you too <laughs> but you know what i'm saying but uh that's probably okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> that might be a good thing but but yeah, I mean, it, it's just awesome how the, how what the reach has been. And it's one of those it's one of those albums that when I listen to it on the rare occasion that I do, I still kind of have to I have to make myself remember that I was part of it. I'm, I mostly listen to it as a fan when I listen to it. And that's I cool. and I go, man, I can't believe I was part of that. You know? Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, you're yeah. And rare. Yeah, absolutely. You were a big part of it, right? It doesn't surprise me that some people laud that is their favorite record of all time. There's something about it that transcends everything else that was really popular at the time there's just something about jason's delivery and i mean the dude's got an incredible voice but the melodies are really unique and right i don't know yeah. it's hard for me to put my finger on it. even even th things like his backup vocals on that record which i think you really you really help bands discover interesting not obvious the fifth harmony you know i don't know if that makes sense but i feel like you're you try to be creative with some of the background vocals it's not just in there just to add a little bit of extra ear candy i hear it in amberlin too that's kind of yeah. like the the cross connection i hear there and, and they're always very prominent in the mix the backup yeah. vocals yeah yeah. yeah, part of that, I think that was a kind of a colliding of my love for that kind of stuff, you know, even as far back as the Beatles and just all the cool harmonies. And then, you know, Joey is just one of the craziest creative forces I've ever worked with from Anne Berlin. When you're only friends are hotel rooms, hands are distant lullabies, if I can turn around my world tonight. These roads never seem so long Central paper hearts are you know, the band's kind of pushing me to be more creative and more over the top. So it's this really cool dynamic that would happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and Joey's just, you know, he's a freaking genius and he just would have a million, he'd have too many ideas for a song. So it was really about like, how do we get, like, which one of these can we actually get in the song? And, yeah, uh, that probably is yeah. fun for you being the producer. If he's got too many ideas, he's so prolific, you know, that's really cool. Oh yeah. yeah. It definitely helps when you've got a ton of ideas that you can work with and you can kind of whittle things down or you have the objective ear hearing it for the first time and then going no that I like that let's work on that let's turn that into something yeah it's all for me it's about I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for these these guys in these bands I mean I I learned just as much from them as they did from me I learned who I was and what I could do and what I loved and what I didn't like and I developed myself with them I mean I, it's more than it's it's a it's a real connection a real like I don't even know how to describe it it's a spiritual thing for sure it is with, kind of magical right it really is yeah uh with uh, in particular with those two bands I really really felt that yeah is it hard to produce yourself you probably have become accustomed to engineering yourself but is it difficult to produce yourself once the tracks are laid down it's it really 
it's actually, I would say at first it was when I was younger, but now it's, it's, it's almost impossible for me to let anybody else produce myself. And it's not because I think they wouldn't do a good job. Honestly, if I let someone else produce me, they might make a way better record. They probably would the right person than I could. But with my music, I have such a specific thing that I'm going for feeling wise that I literally, every time I try to pull somebody else in, in that capacity, I end up questioning everything or having to not, you know, having to basically like, be like, thanks anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and that's probably to a fault, to be honest, like it's, it's probably not in a healthy way, but I have, yeah, I mean, that was one of the fun things about my last solo record, even, which was so, you know, out of, um, different for me, um, as far as such a great record. Thank you. Real life is that the one you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, you know, I brought I brought a bunch of, of guests people in on that one, which I'd never done before, and that was an attempt at sort of letting go of some <laughs> stuff and bringing yeah. in some people that you know I really loved and admired what they did. And but yeah, and this the new record I'm working on now is like almost the it's almost like the antithesis of real life from a sonic production perspective. It's oh, like, cool. There's literally yeah, it's like sounds old and you know not. Old Old, but you know it's it's not electronic or whatever at all yeah i still heard the parallels from water and guns to real life but they are yeah. two, two very different records i enjoy yeah. both i was listening to both today just kind of reminiscing and before we talked today but yeah i was definitely gonna ask you if you're working on new music that's really cool what does it look like i i was listening to your podcast too on the bad christian podcast you're talking mm-hmm. to toby and matt did you ever decide how you wanted to maybe release music in the future are you going to kind of play around with different mediums and things like that yeah so that's still been something i've been really really toiling over. But what I've decided to do, I've got a a friend, Matt from Pacifico has become an awesome friend. And you know, he's done a ton of stuff. And we've been talking, I'm talking to other people. I think what I'm going to do is this spring, I'm going to release a single from the new record, basically just for free. And my what what my what my problem is right now, what I'm looking like up against right now that a lot of these bands, you know, that have been doing focusing on this for a long time is I don't have a database of people. I don't have email addresses. I don't have a mailing list. I don't have a way to directly communicate because you know the way that algorithms work now with social media it's literally the most unreliable way to promote something mm-hmm. um i mean it's literally cl- like clockwork if i post something on instagram you know i don't have a ton of followers i've got seven thousand eight thousand followers something like that if i post oh immunity sorry, i hit oh. my space bar I, no I worries post something that, that if i post something that's promoting something that's that's why 90 percent of the people are following me on social media it gets like i just posted something that got like 60 I think it topped out at 60 likes. Mm-hmm. And then I'll post an idiotic picture of a, like a keyboard I built or something stupid like that. And it'll get like 300 likes or more, hundreds. So they're nerfing my posts on their with their algorithms and you know, I was talking, it. yeah, I was talking to a, a friend, you know, talking to Matt McDonald, who's like, you know, genius in this world from the and, classic crime. Yeah, and he he's going to help me with my actual album release with the crowdfund and stuff. But that's great. Yeah, but he said that email addresses are gold. It's a good, it's a direct communication to your people. And yeah, so I'm going to release this single 
and where basically if you want it you have to give me your email address <laughs> so and just that's good just to get as many people's email addresses as i can and of course. um and then do that i mean you know i'm going to try doing it you know with my friends that know what they're doing you know i can make the yeah. record but you know i'm going to try to get help from matt and other people like that that's smart Yo uh, and see what happens yeah and, and i'm using a p like me i'm going to use like a pr promotion company for this single just to help me get it out there yeah, get a better, you know, reach. I think that's great. I do think we're at the mercy of the social media companies, whatever they decide to do. That's why it's great to have those emails. I'm a personal trainer and we do online training. I've got an online training business as well. So having emails is gold because you're right. It is a direct communication to anybody that's interested in what we do. I would imagine you'll be able to acquire a ton of emails by using that single as a lead magnet, just like any other company would. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I mean, I might even do three singles you know, over the course of the next few months, I might just keep putting them out and just get the momentum going and just see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm also just trying to change my entire expectations about what even a normal release is, you know, mm -hmm. and part of that's really exciting for me. And part of it's terrifying, you know, sure, the freedom to do whatever I feel like doing, if you know, I could be like, I'm going to do a three song EP, or I'm going to do a song, or I'm going to do a double record or a vinyl only, you know, whatever I want to do, that's really exciting. But yeah, the fear, no, no constraints. Right. The fear is, you know, I did this EP under the under the name Blank Books with my brother about four years ago. I think it's been now, mm -hmm. and you know, we that's the only thing I've released independently since you know ninety three, basically ninety two. And wow. you know, we just literally did like a cold drop. We just dropped it one day onto Bandcamp. But I would be very surprised if you know five hundred people have that, you know, and that's the fear, yeah. right? That's really, and, and I'm not, it's not that I'm putting a number on it. If 500 people have it and love it, that's great. But what it is, is that I know that there's more than 500 people out there that would like it if they heard it, or yeah. that would at least be interested in it. And more than the money or the fame or anything, because that's all, I'm not, I don't have any delusions about any of that anymore. You know, I'm old now and I don't, I'm not going to be famous. I'm not going to get rich off of this. It's really about, you know, if one of my favorite artists released something and I didn't hear about it until five years later, I would be like, what the heck? what's going on you know that sucks i wish i would have known about that sure so yeah the thing is i guarantee you more than 500 people if that's how many people have the blank books which i remember seeing that and i listened to it and i thought it was great there's definitely more than 500 people that give a shit about aaron sprinkle music there's definitely so. yeah <laughs> have you ever I'm not sure if this is kind of random, but have you ever heard of the blog post a thousand true fans by kevin kelly uh-uh He's the head editor of Wired magazine. Uh -huh, and he, yeah, yeah. He, the short synopsis of it is that you can build a successful company or whatever it is you happen to be doing. You just need a thousand true fans because those thousand true fans will follow you anywhere and they'll they'll be into whatever it is that you put out. Yeah. So you got a thousand you know true what? fans. I think I emails. have heard of I've heard that talked about before, that concept. And you know, that's awesome and encouraging because, you know, I think I have probably a thousand true fans probably at least yeah somewhere around there and so that's cool there's 25 of my friends that when i tell them that i'm talking to you they're going to be really stoked <laughs> so <laughs> i guarantee you if they you know if they were 
on your email list, they would be listening to whatever it is that you're putting out. Oh, that's awesome. It's funny though, because I feel like in, in some ways and in some scenes or whatever you want to call it, I am way more known as a record producer than I am as an artist. Like, so that's, that's a weird, funny kind of, you know, it's a, it's the producer curse, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I could see that, but it's also a gift, you know, because totally. you're, a pro, you're a prolific guy. I mean, instead of having 10 albums over the course of 20 years, you've got what a hundred. I know a lot of people probably come to you and they just want to talk about cities all day. And that's yeah. fair. Cities is an amazing record. I get it. I'd rather talk about never take friendship personal, but <laughs> there's so much work to kind of dive into when it right. comes yeah, to that Sprinkle. Is, yeah, that is, that is cool and unique and and I'm really proud of it and really yeah. for it. And when I was in a band, we paid attention to who was producing what or who was engineering what because we were dying to work with somebody that of that caliber, you know? Well, you know, and- that, that really is, you know, you're bringing up a really good point is that the people that my people out there are real fans. They're not like, you know, casual listeners or people that are, you know, that are, I don't have any one hit wonders basically is what I'm getting at. Like, yeah, they're either b- people in bands or people that make music or kind of music nerds, which those are my people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's who that's who I love. You know, that's my demographic. So that's cool. You know what I mean? That's yeah. something that I'm proud of. For sure. And I mean, I was always impressed by the sounds that you were able to get because, you know, I didn't really know what the the budgets were back then. I had a feeling my first band, we were we were friends with Yellow Card. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was booking shows when I was a teenager and I remember booking their first show and watching in real time them go from a very tiny independent label to major label. Yeah. And I didn't even know until a few months ago that the Ocean Avenue, they spent $750,000 mm-hmm. recording that. I listened to that in 2003. And then two years later, you're putting out an album like Phantoms or Never Take Friendship Personal. I assumed your budget was around like half a million dollars or something like that, or, you know, hundred thousand dollars. No, I mean, I, those were all under six figures. All of those. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think that speaks to you and your production and engineering. <laughs> also, J.R. McNeely, he was, he was oh, yeah. mixing a lot yeah. of those records at the time, right? Yeah, he's, he's yeah. still somebody that I work with on on a regular basis too. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a random question, but I, w- I wanted to make sure I ask. Yeah, let's do it's it. Totally random. But what's your favorite Amberlin B-side? I know I'm saying Amberlin a lot, but I, I'm very curious if you have an answer to this question. And if you don't, it's totally okay. I would have to look up what songs are B-sides in order for me to be able to answer that. Well, the answer is they shouldn't be B-sides because they're that good. And they're one of the few bands that I'm always, your B-sides are just as good, if not better in some way. Like I think of Haunted or Haunting. Yeah. I'm thinking of the two B-sides from Cities. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. So I have a hard time. Some, so some of the stuff I have a really hard time with because I'm in the studio making stuff. And then we turn it in and I don't have a ton of, I don't, I usually don't have a ton of input on what happens after that. Right. Yeah. And then, and then I have another band in the next day or whatever, you know, I might have like four days, you know, I had like four days off after cities ended and then I started another <laughs> record. So, oh uh, so, cause that's how I worked. Back then. And so, you know, I have to be reminded sometimes of what was on what and all that, but yes, I'm looking right now, I'm looking on Wikipedia of at the track <laughs> of lost songs and Haunting and Uncanny are the first two on there. Uncanny, yeah. yeah. And you mixed those too, right? Yeah, I think I did. That does sound oh, familiar. Man. Yeah. Every time Uncanny comes on shuffle in my little personal training studio, it just, it sounds so good still. 
just that guitar that and then the drums come in i have yeah hold on i've got to listen to this really quick because uh yeah yeah that song's awesome i remember (laughs) it really is man and it's a b-side it's just insane i love that though i remember growing up and listening to bands or even you know as an adult where you find some hidden gem that you're like (gasps) and it almost is more special that it's a b-side because you're like you know it's mine it's a special song that no one else knows about that's right (laughs) that's how it makes you feel at least you know you you get all romantic about it yep exactly (laughs) yeah i definitely did that for sure well, cool, man. So you're still working for Soundstripe? Yeah. Yep. It's been three years now. Right, man. Full time. Congrats. It sounds like a really cool deal. I mean, especially for somebody like me doing a podcast, we're always looking for music. If you happen to listen to this, the very beginning is me recording. I taught myself how to record six years ago and after being awesome. in bands for so many years. And yeah. I'm literally doing my best Phantoms impression with the lead-in music. I didn't know if I'd ever nice. use it for anything, but oh, here we are. Great. Yeah, but can you tell me a little bit about Soundstripe? Yeah, so Soundstripe is, has just been the coolest thing for me in my life and where I'm at right now. And it's a music licensing company. It's catalog-based music licensing, So and it's subscription-based. So you know, if you buy a subscription for a very reasonable price, you have unlimited access to their catalog for licensing. And... Their whole thing is like, you know, just having the highest literal possible quality music. And I think they're doing a pretty damn good job of that. The founders, the three guys that started the company were all people that were familiar with my work as an artist and a producer. Cool. And I actually knew one of them. He was an acquaintance. He was in a band that he's actually been in two bands that I've worked with, but he was never in. Actually, he was. That's a totally another story that I won't go into, but I'd never (laughs) I had never worked with him personally, but he was in Falling Up and he was in Disciple for a minute. And he's and they've just turned out to be the best company, best people. They're absolutely exploding. And they've basically allowed me to make music that I wouldn't have had an opportunity to make otherwise. Basically creating projects and making whole EPs or whole albums of music that I wouldn't have been afforded the luxury to make otherwise. You know, I have, and I have, I think 13 or 14 monikers that I compose under for Soundstripe. So I've got, you know, I did a whole lo-fi record and I've got, you know, this like electronic thing and I've got an electronic thing that I sing on. And I've got a a band with this girl, Jessie, who's one of the other people that works there, who's just the most incredible, amazingly talented person. She sings and we have a thing called Luna Wave that we've done a bunch of songs with. And then we have a new thing we're doing that hasn't even come out yet. And I co-wrote and produced her newest single that they're pushing pretty hard right now and just all these cool this yep yeah and i have another thing with adrian walther called snowbones that i just sing on he does all the music and i just sing and it's this kind of british kind of late 90s early 2000s brit brit poppy kind of thing that we're doing and hell yeah um, kind of like the strokes and Arctic Monkeys. it's no it's more like um it's more like doves uh like that kind of there's all these bands that we really he's he's a little bit younger than me but we're really close in age and we realized that we both were kind of into a lot of the same music in that time i mean it probably doesn't sound like that to anyone else i mean my vocals probably don't he his music he's but you know but i really like it it's really fun i've never got to just write and perform vocals 
in a project ever, you know? So that's been so that's cool and it's so rewarding. And, the, and then some of the places the music has gone, it's been just really neat. And just to be a part of the creative process in a different capacity, the performance isn't based on the pressure of like a record doing well as a producer can be really crazy and awful. <laughs> like it can Toxic. be- yeah, like you're you're basically, you know, your worth is is established by how many copies it sold or how many streams it had eventually. And you know, if it didn't do well, I I have a joke where people ask what a produce what a record producer is and I say it's the person that gets blamed if the record doesn't do very well. <laughs> and uh that's tragic. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but, and the A&R is the person that gets the accolades if the record does really well. <laughs> no offense any A&Rs out there, but, uh, <laughs> but it completely shifted that whole thing. It's more about becoming part of someone else's creative process. Like, how can I make music that might be, like if someone was, if, they, if, if a subscriber on Soundstripe is going through the catalog and they're looking and they just have this idea in their head of something they need for, a, a, you know, a, a, some film they're making or commercial or video or podcast and they find it the thought of them finding one of my songs and being like yes this is exactly what i'm looking for that is like the coolest feeling you know and the ambiguity of it is really kind of fun too like i don't know everything that every gets used you know so it's kind of like hope that's doing good out there that's fun you know <laughs> well, and, it's probably uh, fun to just create for the sake of creating and then you just is. put it into the ether yeah, and the you know I'm I'm on a small team of full time employed composers, and we really have a lot of latitude. You know, we work with them. We want them to be successful. You know, we're part of the family, part of the company, and so we're not just off doing literally whatever the hell we want to do. Mm -hmm. But the freedom we're afforded, and you know, they always say like, "We hired you to do what you do. We're not asking you to do something else. Like, we want mm -hmm. your take on this or or whatever." And that it's just so fun and. So the people there have become some of my best friends too. I mean, they're just the coolest people. So that's so cool, man. Yeah. I wonder if they saw your versatility in your solo work, but also just the plethora of projects that you've done over the years. You get to Demon Hunter to a band like States or Copeland, You Are My yeah, Sunshine. Right, right. I mean, you, there's a lot of room in there. You yeah. Know, that, that's a big umbrella, which there's is really cool. There's a lot cool. of room in, in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's yeah. that's rad. And that's I think yeah. that's one of the reasons if you put out something, you put out a new solo record, I think people are going to really be interested in checking it out because it's an adventure to see kind of what we're going to get next from from you and your oh, work thanks man that's cool yeah yeah well I, and it speaks to how versatile you are as a composer a musician and a producer you can do all these different sounds different sounding songs and things like that that's cool and it, it kind of breeds new life into music for you i'm sure which you do oh, things for totally. a decade it gets stale right absolutely. you have to kind of like breathe new life into it absolutely discovering corners of what i do that i that were you know previously undiscovered or very little you know time had been put into them and then now soundstripe is expanding into almost functioning like a label they're going to start doing proper releases of some of this music that we make and so that's really exciting too and fun to be a part of that's exciting yeah it's cool 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 stuff yeah and it gives you autonomy too right yes i like that word autonomy 
Yeah. 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 Me too. Well, cool, man, dude. I want to be respectful of your time. Again, this has been a lot of fun talking to you. This is definitely a thrill for me. I've been a, a fan of yours since 2002 when I first heard Control. I didn't even realize you co-wrote on that album. I could probably talk to you for an hour on that album alone, but maybe for another time. But I heard you say, I think it was in the Bad Christian podcast. You said that you liked how music elevated the human experience, and that's how you view some of the spiritual connections that you've made to music over the years, or just the expansive and important connections that you made through music over the years. And that's definitely something that you've done for me as well as lots of my wow. friends that I was talking. You've definitely elevated my human experience listening to your stuff. And I'm always excited to hear new work from you and the things that you're up to. So man, thank you. Yeah, I thank really you. appreciate that. That's for really sure, man. means a lot. And yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, man. Yeah, yeah. no, thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. And if you're ever in KC, dude, hit me up. Absolutely. I'll, I'll show you around. I will. Show you around town. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks again. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'm sure I'll see you on the interwebs. I'll definitely, I'll give you my email. Or you have sure. it now, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Awesome, thanks, man. Kyle. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, see you, dude. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) 